You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hi, welcome to Comeback City, where we explore Detroit's past, present, and future. Today, we are talking about the Schwitz, a beautiful Art Deco health club on the North End neighborhood of Detroit. The Schwitz has a rich and varied history and an exciting future with a new owner. With me today is my co-host, Matt Schenken, and... Patty Lynch, who owns the Schwitz. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. How are you today, Matt? I am doing well. I'm, I am, uh, yep, doing great. You know, Patty, I want to talk to you about the Schwitz. I mean, you have recently purchased the building, which was built in the 1920s. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to start this venture? Sure. I'm, I, I'm Irish Catholic, though, so how much time do we have? I, I'll, t- I'll talk <laughs> if you let me go. No. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> um, so I live right down the street from the Schwitz. Do you live in Boston, on Boston Boulevard? I don't. I live on Arden Park, which is East Chicago. So right I live, next to it. Yeah. So my neighborhood is um, what's considered Arden Park, East Boston. And the main landmark there is the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament. Right. And... Um, People kind of think of Arden Park, East Boston, and Boston Edison as one giant neighborhood because they yeah. butt up to one another. But Boston Edison is is you know kind of famous and huge. It's probably got close to a thousand homes. But over on our side, does it really? Yeah, east of Woodward, where um where where I am, there's just 92 homes. So it's just kind of a small historical district, but it's got great history and. I've been there nearly um, seven years now, so I love it very much. Oh, my goodness. What inspired you to move into the neighborhood? My parents raised me in an old house, ironically, a Purple Gang house for a number of years in Bloomfield Hills. We're going to be talking about yeah, the Purple Gang. Yeah, we can gang. talk about the Purple Gang. And um, so I grew up with um, projects going on and old radiators and my parents always taking on a new project. That was something that they really loved to do together. So I blame them, but I found in 2011 um, Stanley Kresge's old mansion on Arden Park. And, oh, my goodness. Um, it's got a fascinating history. I'm only the fourth owner in 100 years there. Wow. Um, so that's sort of a story in and of itself, but I, I moved into the home right away and started to restore uh, the home. And probably in the first year that I was there, maybe 18 months, but I think it might have been the first year, I um, visited the Schwitz, which is just south of my neighborhood um the whole area there as you i think mentioned in your introduction is considered the north end right so arden park east boston would be the the northern tip of the north end yeah and the schwitz is down closer to east grand boulevard which is the southern tip of the north end now that was a typically um russian jewish neighborhood back in the day which was the early part of the 20th century right and yeah, the well, you know, as we all know, and I guess some folks are still coming to terms with, you know, that our city was built very much upon uh, racism and segregation, and and blacks and Jews were oftentimes found in the same neighborhood. And the North End is the North End because it's the North End of Paradise Valley, 
which was one of the major uh, sections of black culture and music in Detroit at that time. Johnny Lee Hooker got his start just next to the Schwitz at the Apex Bar and lived upstairs for a while. And um, the Jews very much were involved in that part of the city. And um, the Schwitz, of course, was originally a, a Jewish cultural center. Um, a lot of the poor Eastern European Jews coming over you know, had cold water flats, and they had to purify themselves uh, for the weekly Sabbath. So the Schwitz was one of many places where someone could do that. Um, it survived in large part because of its affiliation, you know, with business. So the um, the history is obviously colorful and, you know, very colorful, beautiful so, in many the ways. The color yeah. purple, yeah, to be exact. So, <laughs> so let me so let me jump in and and say how we got this topic this week. Sure. And I I just got goosebumps okay. uh, when you were describing you know how this place uh, came about, why the why this. Uh, Jewish Community Center is in this area, Paradise Valley. Uh-huh. You know, I've been procrastinating about going to the Schwitz for about 30 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, five weeks ago, I go there for the first time. Uh, you know, sometimes in life, you just, you find the right thing at the right time. But when I went there and I, and I met the community of people that were in there, uh, all age groups, the from the hipsters to guys in their 70s sure. and 80s, there, there was a, a a sense of community. There was mm-hmm. a sense of uh, uh, understanding. There was this thing that you can't put your finger on, but mm-hmm. it 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 spoke to me. Sure, right? Yeah. And I, I, I responded to it. I, I felt comfortable in in it. And that history that you just spoke about of that whole area, there are there are lines of of not only history, but people who have been going there right. since, you know, for 70 years. Yeah. Uh, and and that still remains there, that sense of being outsiders coming in right. and belonging. Yeah, a real sense of um, camaraderie, but also hospitality. I mean, it, it is a long legacy. It's been in operation. This is the 88th year that it's been in continuous operation. As So it's always been in operation. It never yeah. was closed down. Uh, very, very briefly in the mid-70s for some renovations. But really, it's been in continuous operation. And um, I think you make a good point, Matt. I mean, people over the years will sometimes overly associate it with the Purple Gang in the sense that they'll think of it in terms of sort of like a hideout. And it was never that. It was it was actually quite the opposite. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about who were the Purple Gang okay. exactly. Yeah. Well, the Purple Gang were a – another thing that people don't really realize a lot about the Purple Gang is at that time how young they were. So many of these guys were in their early to mid-20s. And it's one of the reasons why they were as sort of as ruthless and as feared as they were. Um and they, they were bootleggers. They were bootleggers. So this the, is the 1920s, right? And at the peak of prohibition, the Purple Gang was probably responsible for over 80 percent of the booze coming into the country during prohibition from Canada, from Canada across the river. And so guys like Capone and and other Italian um, figures both needed them and feared them. <laughs> and how um, many people were in the Purple Gang? Uh, you know what. I, I would I would I would give you a a bullshit answer and then somebody would say he's way off. I would I would I wouldn't be able to tell you. Dozens maybe. Oh, I would think. Yeah, I mean probably. there were a lot of connected people. And what we're talking about are 
Russian Jews. Well, yes, and a lot of Polish Jews, Eastern European Jews. Eastern European. Yeah, and it's important to know, too, like, while members of the Meltzer family had connections to the Purple Gang, they were running an independent family operation there. I mean, I think it's important to understand that when Mr. Meltzer took control of the building in the late 20s, which is a fascinating story in and of itself, how that happened and what he did, you know, they were Russian Jews. So it was important to them from a religious and cultural perspective as well to have that kind of place. The reason why it became sort of the de facto meeting spot for all of these various players was that when you're in a place like that um, and all the sort of socioeconomic and professional boundaries are left at the door uh-huh. and you get in your towel or your robe, there's no weapons involved and there's no wires. So this was a place where people knew that they could have confidential conversations, and it was actually a place of great neutrality. As I mentioned before, it wasn't like this major hideout. It was a place where politicians, city officials, gangsters, um, you name it, could come together, rabbis, priests, and they all kind of knew, hey, this is a place where we're going to get along for the evening. you know. And if you need to have your conversation over there, that's fine. But this is a place where we come to relax and where we come to catch up. So, and and the Schwitz itself mm-hmm. is a bathhouse, a health club. Yeah, well, there is no exercise equipment. <laughs> I noticed. Kena, I toured Kena. the Schwitz today earlier, and I did not notice any exercise equipment. Yeah, which is pretty unusual for, for a, a health, health club. club. Yeah, keen observation. <laughs> um, yeah, it's sort of the lazy man's cardio. You know, you 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 smoke, you drink, and you sweat, oh. but. Um, I think that it is, in the most traditional sense, a, a bathhouse. And, and what I mean by that is it's built upon Eastern European traditions of um, coming together, not just to here's – where it, here's where the distinctions need to be made. People go to the health club or they go to the gym to try to bust out their 45-minute to an hour workout before or after work. And it's nearly a chore for many people. Um, People go to the spa or the salon to maybe pamper themselves by appointment and kind of get in, get out. The Schwitz is an an entirely different reality and has been for years. And it's built upon the tradition of coming to a place and actually unwinding um, in every sense of the word. So you're going to meet up with people that you've known your whole life that you might otherwise not have been friends with if, if not for the Schwitz. And you smoke and you drink and you eat and you take steam. Some guys take a nap on the couch. And you're going to spend two or three, sometimes four hours there. It's why guys don't do it every day. They don't do it even a couple times a week typically. They do it once a week like right. the Sabbath. Yeah. And, and you know, again, it's, you know, that notion of, you know, it about coming there with your clothes off, meaning <laughs> that you come there without the symbols and the status of of what you have when you're out in the world. That right. You can come together and there is this camaraderie. There is this way of socializing and connecting with people who have, you know, look, I, I go out in this world and I'm just kind of a doofus. Like, I don't know. I just, you know, and here I come into the Schwitz and, uh, you know, I'm pretty friendly. I talk to people. Right. And, and I was embraced, you sure. know, by, by people just because they're used to people coming in from right. off the street. And, and, and they don't and, have their cell phone in front of them. And they don't have their cell right, phone. Which and, is critical. Right. And right. It, it is. Huge. A, yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, 
it seemed very cozy to me. It is a cozy place. And kind of clubby a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. I mean, uh, you know, there's there are guys there that have been coming for over 50 or 60 years. The I regulars. Mean, it might as well be their, you know, their mother's living room. Um, sometimes we have to remind them that it's not, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, no, it's a, it, at any given, on any given evening there, you could sit down at the dining room table and there could be a number of guys sitting around in their robes. The guy to your left, he might be a millionaire, mm-hmm. you know, multi-generational millionaire Jewish guy from Birmingham. And then the guy to your right could be a first generation Ukrainian. Um, from Hamtramck and the guy across from you is a Chaldean guy and the other guy across from you is, you know, a black guy from the city. It, it yeah, I mean, it's a place where people don't, you know, come to, to check out each other's, you know, watches and, right. and, you know, clothing. So, and typically historically it's been mm-hmm. guys, right? And that's, that's an important, um, thing that you bring up because the answer is yes and no if you go back far enough um it's you have of course a mikvah there right um and so describe a mikvah for those listeners who um well i'm not jewish so i don't want to you know um speak out of turn but but a mikvah is an ancient um jewish ritual bath that is typical. That is, some people only associate it with with the female population, but there are male mikvahs as well, mm-hmm. and men do use mikvahs at various times. But in this case, what what has been discovered at the Schwitz underneath the floorboards is an original Jewish mikvah with its own entrance off of Oakland Avenue, which would have been used by Orthodox or Hasidic women um, for. Is it a purification? Yeah. So a lot of people will associate it with menstruation, but it's actually theologically speaking, more associated with ovulation. So an Orthodox couple may not touch each other for a week or 10 days, which of course um, makes them all the more interested in each other probably at, the, at towards the end of those 10 days. And then <laughs> during ovulation, um, a, a, a strictly Orthodox couple or a Catholic couple for that matter, I'm Catholic, are of course hoping to procreate oftentimes. And so a woman would go to this mikvah and she would say a set of prayers and immerse herself in the pool. And then she'd go home. And that was a great night for her and her husband because that was the night they were able to enjoy each other's company after, you know, 10 days with the hopes of procreating. Um, so there was a religious component to a, it. Uh, it's a totally religious yes. ent- uh, entity. An important. Right. And if you talk to component. some um, rabbis today, they'll they'll remind you that even before a Jewish community might establish a shul or uh, a synagogue in a community, they'll establish a mikvah because a mikvah is based, you know, on our human calendar. And um, it's a sign of their um, commitment to that area. So from what we can gather, this mikvah at the Schwitz is the only one intact. It needs to be restored a bit, but it's the only one left in the city of Detroit, which is fascinated um, the Jewish community on many levels. And secondly, is relating to the, the female participation, if you talk to the Meltzer family, um, Mrs. Meltzer would have female-only days there. So once a week, hmm. she'd kick the guys out, and the women would come in and enjoy the place. And so our um, desire to establish some female-only hours there twice a week is really people think it might be kind of revolutionary at the Schwitz, 
based on the last 30 or 40 years. But if you base it on the last century, it's quite normal. Yes, we were there this evening and it was ladies Ladies day, only, yeah. Ladies only. And it did look like there were several, you know, women yeah. there that were um, enjoying. And I'm sure people are just getting to kind of know about it and ladies nights at this point. And yeah. And as a man, um, I can fully appreciate the fact that women need a break from for sure from us and me. Um, but so. let's talk a little bit about the other history of the, the Schwitz. The swingers? The swingers. You had that look on your face. <laughs> are, are, you, I, are, you speaking, want... are you speaking from experience? <laughs> Wait, or no, I'm okay. not. Now, I don't, want, <laughs> I don't want to have this conversation <laughs> because, okay. I, because the Schwitz to me is more like, you know, the mikvah that you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, I had, and I, I no, I'm going well, well, to embarrass well, you about this well, because I had my own spiritual experience having my plots <laughs> up, you know, my first, uh, you know, and so don't well, ruin this experience for me. I, well, I, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but I mean, it, it's an important part of the history. Right. And, um, right. and uh, you know, I... I have nothing. I have really nothing bad to say. I mean, that was that it was, was the era. It, well, it was more than the era. I mean, it went on for decades. It 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 it's a it's a subculture, and I have no. Um, I'm not going to make any personal judgment against it. In many ways, I'm grateful that they helped keep the lights on for all those years. That is um, true, and wow. and generated some revenue. It just wasn't the best way to move forward because not only is it a, obviously a, a heavy liability. Um, most people don't want to, you know, uh, steam and relax in a place where they know that's going on. I mean, it's just, it, it's no judgment on, on, on what it is. It's more just that it, it, the space could no, the space couldn't be restored properly and bring the number of people in that need to be brought in with that going on. So, so what was it? Was it just one or two nights a week? Yeah, it was Saturday was nights Because you had years. your, you know, you have clients that come in now that have been coming there for you know right. decades so they they would come in on their days oh, and then yeah. you'd have swingers yeah on. and it was two different worlds so you had Interesting. you had saturday nights um people knew that they could come there and be as voyeuristic as they wanted to to participate if they wanted to i'm sure there were some couples that came that just wanted to take steam because it was really the only time when the place was available to women um so Whatever it was, it is what it is. But during the week, uh, to speak to your to your point more directly, is yeah, for eighty eight years, these guys would come mostly Wednesday and Thursday evenings. And, you know, you had everything from rabbis to priests to businessmen. Decade after decade, decade after decade, and that in the weekend activity was sort of like, oh, okay. I mean, I mean, you know, we all inhabit spaces in life. Uh, wherein we don't necessarily know what's going on um, at all times, you know. And and so I think they were able to kind of look the other way and see the bigger picture and say, you know, this is where my grandfather took me. This is where my father took me. Whatever's going on on the weekends, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And they and they tolerated it, which in some ways there's, there's some wisdom there, you know. But um, obviously the vast majority of patrons were quite grateful to, to know that that part of the history – was behind us because there are so many bigger and better things to to accomplish there at this point. I think so. So I had a question just about how how that building, how your business mm -hmm. fits within that neighborhood, and why I ask is this: mm -hmm. that Detroit is 
has been kind of chopped up and uh, because the neighborhoods have kind of fallen in disarray, mm-hmm. there seems to be a little jewel. There seems to be something in every sure. neighborhood that 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 at least that holds it together. Right. Right. And I wouldn't I don't think that the the Schwitz has held it together. I think the Schwitz has been a place for people to continue um to 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 patronize, which is which is a blessing because not that many businesses were able to survive in the North End over the last, you know, 50 years. Um what makes the North End prophetic and there's a, there's a great for those listening, I think and if they're interested, there's a great uh, piece out of the New York Times. I think it was summer of 2014. And it was – I think it's called Testing Ground for a New Detroit. And it focuses right on the North End. <laughs> and it ta- and it mentions the Schwitz and it quotes Mayor Duggan. Interesting. And, um, Aretha Franklin um, is who grew up in the neighborhood for a while is quoted, I remember. But anyway, they, they did a really nice piece because it was it was very thorough. And what they – what they exposed, and I think they were right in doing so, is this is not downtown. This mm-hmm. is not Midtown. This is not New Center. This is not a university district. It's not a theater district. It's not a financial district. It's not a stadium district, whatever. It's a neighborhood. Yeah. And it's still got good housing stock. Beautiful it, houses in the neighborhood. Right. It's still populated. It's not totally blighted. But it's mostly black, and it's mostly poor. And it's important for us to remember that because what can be done appropriately and properly in the North End will speak volumes to what is possible in other parts of the city. You know, it's not that hard to get some major investors to invest in and around a stadium or a theater. For sure. Um, But to say, you know, it's important for us to have, you know, healthy commerce um, in a neighborhood that was forgotten by, by outsiders for most of the the last half century, and the things that have survived on Oakland Avenue have been, um, you know, miraculously uh, black churches and the Schwitz, and um, you know, we're kitty corner from from a church that um, has been there nearly as long as the Schwitz. Um, so. It's important to remember. Are one's you seeing roots. any changes in the neighborhood in the past several years at oh, all? Oh, there's yeah, there's significant changes. Um, some are unsettling, really, um, because you worry about people's ability to um, stay in their homes. Of course, because of gentrification or because of yeah, just the the just the just the rise in 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 home value, home value, and, and rental mm-hmm. fee. And I think that um, striking that balance is a deeply uncomfortable conversation for nearly anyone you sit down. And I think one of the things that's hard about Detroit is people want to have easy answers and they want to have like one-liners, hmm. but but Detroit's a painful place, you know, and people love to talk about um, all the ways in which it's being, you know, brought back to life. But we've had over half a million people living in that city for a long, long time, and they've been su- most so, of them have been suffering. Well, you've been on on in Detroit in your house for mm-hmm. how long? Did you say six, seven years? Yeah, about s- almost seven years. Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen quite a few changes in that period of time. I have, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The downtown area, which is what I'm saying. So you know, when you think about the size, the geographical size Detroit of huge. Detroit, it's enormous. And while there are wonderful things happening, and we hope they continue to happen, happen. Those are happening geographically speaking in a very small part of the city. So, 
So let, let me speak to that a little yeah. bit. I, I, you know, in doing this podcast and going out and researching, you know, uh, Comeback City, you know, past, present, and future. Right. I, I have traversed the city back and forth uh, now <laughs> uh, many, you know, just back and forth. Uh, Saturday, we had a big snowstorm. I'm cruising around the neighborhoods uh, and people are stuck mm-hmm. and it's African-American people, you know, right. and, it's, and here I come and who am I, you know, and I push people out and I say hi. I have, I've been coming to the city. I've been riding my bike through the city, through all these neighborhoods. I have never, ever, ever had an incident or an experience that was negative, that was, uh, you know, and I just have to say that, you know, we, we have this, this notion that Detroit is, uh, you know, dangerous and it's blighted and there's no hope. What I imagined as I was driving through and I was seeing the, this life again, it's like a snake. Mm-hmm. You know, when a snake um, grows, it sheds its skin, mm-hmm. right? So when I see a closed school or uh, houses that are, um, you know, boarded up, I, I there's hope for there, there's growth. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the the city will come back. You know, there it it is a safe place. It is it is a place of opportunity. It's a place that I think. Um, to your end about talking about, you know, making it an affordable city for the people that live here mm-hmm. and making it a safe, a safer city. So right. I just, I see a lot of hope and I, and I just, well, I appreciate I see, your, yeah. well, yeah. I see a lot of excitement in the city also. Oh yeah. For the first time in a very long time. Yeah. No, I think that, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's important for us to always keep a healthy perspective on the past so that the moves that we make Mm. in the future consider as many people as possible. And what I'm saying about the North end is that the downtown midtown, because if if you look at the city of Detroit and you look at the capital that's being invested, Mm -hmm. obviously that's being done um, downtown in the surrounding areas Mm -hmm. that is going to automatically Oh. Um, begin to bleed out, which is Into which, the which is a which is a wonderful thing and something we can be hopeful and excited about. But how it bleeds? Well, gentrification is kind of a double edged sword, right? And we all know that. And and so you know, I just don't like to pretend that we're not always at the center of it. And I think it's important. You know, the Schwitz. One of the first things I did. Um, you know, the Schwitz has been been around a long time i got to know some of the people kitty corner from us at the church which is black and i i talked to a number of them and they said you know i've been coming to this church 50 years and i've never ever set foot inside that building i don't even fully understand what goes on in there which i thought was kind of that you know it was bittersweet it was kind of charming but it was, the swingers yeah. maybe well and the gangsters <laughs> and the and the gangsters gang. yeah you know um i had one woman tell me a uh, black woman that I know, she said when I was a young girl in this neighborhood, she said, my mother told me, you know, you just walk on the other side of the street because that's those are some those are some mean white men over I, I, there. You I, know, I, I did some outreach as I was sitting in my car uh, after uh, spending, I don't know, six hours at the Schwitz when I, you know, mm-hmm. kind of gather myself and uh, these police officers drove by and they said, what, what is this place? What yeah. is this? I'm like, what? You, you don't the know police? the Schwitz? Uh, yeah, the police did not. I'm like. Well, you That's know, I, yeah, it was kind of funny, and I that is know. funny. Yeah. Um, if you talk to some of the old timers, which I have, they definitely, they definitely know. But I, I, so October first, I knew that they were getting out of their church services. It was a Sunday, um, 
you know, around one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And so the week before I went over and I said, listen, when you guys get out of services next week and why don't you come over? We'll just have an open house. You don't have to what a great idea. steam or whatever. So we had, you know, we had food on, and drink on the house and a bunch of people, young, middle-aged, old, you name it, were able to come in and kind of see the place. And um, it, it was a beautiful thing, you know. That sounds so, great. Yeah. So how, how, how do you as – so, you know, you, you live in the community, uh-huh. you have a, a space that brings a community in. How, how does a place like that self, like, how does it, does it self, does it choose the type of, uh, you know, how do I say this? Like, how do people Does it feel, choose who comes? Who, the, yeah. You, no, yeah. the answer is no, it doesn't. And it doesn't choose. No, right. it's a, and this is the thing that's deeply ambiguous and speaks to the history of the Schwitz. For nearly a hundred years now, nobody and you could talk to the Meltzers about this. You could talk to other people who have been affiliated with it or owned it. It's not really public because it does have this it's a secret sense of secrecy, <laughs> but it's definitely not private. I mean, Mm-mm. nobody's gonna be turned away. I mean, if you're you know, a decent person and you want to enjoy the space. It's a little bit I, hidden. Yeah. So it's it is unusual in that it attracts all kinds of people. And I, I've, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a third generation funeral director, so that's what I do um, with, with with most of my days. And then I have the luxury of going to the Schwitz in the evenings most of the time. But the 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 parallels between the Schwitz, believe it or not, and funerals and grief and funeral services is, is quite compelling and provocative. I mean, no, there are no invitations to a funeral. You know, funerals wow. are public events. I mean, rarely is a funeral private. A funeral is published and you can't control who shows up. It's not like a wedding. Yeah. Um, and so what you deal with at funerals and around human beings grieving and emoting and all the rest is not unlike the Schwitz. I mean, the Schwitz is sort of like a funeral home without any dead bodies. People are coming and going. They're eating and drinking. Nobody's invited but nobody's turned away. How interesting. It, and it's like, it, it's like, it's, it reminds I, me so much of the funeral home. I, I can attest to that descriptor and that description. <laughs> and, and I, uh, and I will say that, um, the, the, the group, you know, there's kind of groups of men who know sure. each other and I, you know, have no Almost sense like of boundaries. A place of comfort. Oh, it is. Yeah. And a place of, um, catharsis and of letting sure. go. Yeah. I mean, um, oh, no kidding. Guys, uh-huh. I mean, the sweating. Yeah. There's a lot of um, weight as human beings um, that we carry and, you know, we're vulnerable creatures and we tire and we toil and um, funerals are ways for us to kind of work out what we're It's an emotional feeling. experience. And, and the Schwitz is very much the same. Most guys, we it's funny, very early on after buying the place, we had a bit of like a kind of a clairvoyant, like a spiritual medium come through. She was just there for other reasons. But what really kind of shocked her was like the the density of the energy in the building. And she said, but this makes a lot of sense. And she didn't say that it was anything like mean spirited. She said it's mostly benevolent. But she said for, you know, almost 100 years, people have been coming here to essentially do one thing. And that's to let go, to dump their energy, you know. So it does have this um, – you feel like, you know, the walls are sort of – they're For sure. They're haunted, you know. Um, you know, Patty, I wanted to ask you something else. I heard uh-huh. a rumor uh-huh. that the funeral home, mm-hmm. Lynch Funeral Home, mm-hmm. 
was the inspiration for Six Feet Under. Is that <laughs> well, true? Uh, yeah, the, I mean, don't hold it, it. Don't hold it. Against, don't hold it against us. <laughs> show. We're nearly that dysfunctional. Um, <laughs> I love that show. Six Feet Under HBO. HBO. Yeah, Alan Ball, an amazing artist and writer, and he. You got ha- to know him. I didn't. My uncle did very well. So my oh. uncle Thomas Lynch is is a a poet and an essayist. And what happened is he w- and he's a funeral director. He's um just a year older than my dad. So out of the nine kids, Tom is number two. My dad's number three. But Tom was writing poems uh, for a number of years while working at the funeral home. And he was pretty well published in Ireland and where we have a family place. And then after my grandfather died in 1992, he felt some Catholic guilt that he hadn't really written extensively or more clearly in a nonfiction sort of way about what we do. And he wrote um, what, what happened, what came out of that was a series of essays called The Undertaking that won the American Book Award. Um, it was nominated for the National Book Award, really, really something. And Alan Ball got his hands on those essays. He knew that oh. he um, had wanted to potentially write a show about funeral directors, but didn't really necessarily know the direction he was going to go in or what the tone would be. But it was after reading my uncle's um, work about our family that he he knew kind of what he wanted to do. And it's pretty hilarious. My uncle consulted him throughout the series, um, which I recommend to anyone who hasn't watched it. It's a great series. Yeah, it's The brilliant. ending was unbelievable. unbelievable. And it was like, I don't know, I think it was like, there's only like five seasons, but I think it was halfway through, two or three seasons um, into the series, Alan Ball called my uncle and said, Lynch, and my uncle's told this story before because it's a good one to tell. He said, Lynch, I finally get it. I finally get you funeral types. And he had had like an artistic revelation of sorts. And my uh, uncle said, oh, yeah, what's that? And he goes, once you put a dead guy in the room, you can talk about anything you want. Wow. And um, <laughs> wow. They, wow. and my uncle thought it was spot on. And it's true. Wow. You know, when you put a dead body in, in a room, people tend to um, talk about more important things for sure and i think you know at the schwitz when you kind of leave everything at the door and you sort of make yourself a little bit more vulnerable to the people in the room and you know that everything's sort of confidential and you've let go of your cell phone and you've let go of your computer and maybe you've let go of your you know your schedule for the day um you know that's where a lot of guys have come to get through you know raising kids and staying married and you know, burying their parents. And I mean, I think that guys have seen it as a, as a source of salvation, as a retreat, you know. You might want to talk to Alan Ball about his next show, What's The Schwitz. Yeah, right. <laughs> he would do that. It would be perfect for him. Um, yeah, he did True Blood. And I'm trying to think, oh, well, he did American Beauty, which was a beautiful right. movie. That was a gorgeous movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, I feel very grateful to kind of be the the caretaker along with some others right Great. now. Yeah. You know, Patty, in this um, podcast, we talk about the past, present and the future. Mm-hmm. What are your future plans for the Schwitz? I just had dinner with one of my best friends since childhood here in Royal Oak um, before coming to see you guys. And we were chatting. It came up actually. It's, it's hard to know. I, I, the Schwitz feels um, a lot bigger than me and a lot bigger than any individual. And I've come to learn that it definitely has a life of its own. Now, what a lot of people don't realize about it is upstairs above the dining room and the locker room and so forth is basically a 4,000 square foot traditional ballroom. It was a Jewish dance hall wow. where they'd have bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. 
and um, I saw a boxing ring. Up yeah, there. yeah, we got a boxing ring up there right <laughs> wow. now for some for some neighborhood youth. Until until I have the funds, which who knows when that'll be, to really restore it, we'll we'll put it to good use with the neighborhood. But I guess what I'm trying to say is the Schwitz. My my hope is that it'll always be sort of what it's been, which is a place essentially open to the public four or five days a week. Nothing too fancy. People can come and go. They can feel comfortable. Where I think it might have a a grander future, um, as it did originally, is in being able to host, you know, some pretty pretty major events. You know, they used to have, um, as I mentioned, you know, sort of celebrate the high holidays there. And um, I think there's any number of things that somebody could is host there. Is there a kitchen? Yeah, and there's a kitchen, and um, it's always been BYOB, which is kind of cool. The a lot of the Jewish guys like their wet red wine, and they'll they'll kind of do a wine tasting after they steam together, and then Russians and Ukrainians drink vodka like it's water, of course. Um, some guys just like to have a canned beer, but yeah, it's it's kind of cool in that it's um, it's not overly regulated, you know. And you're doing some restoration work too. I noticed the yeah. uh, sauna. Oh area. yeah, yeah. So the Schwitz, it's I, I mean, I guess it's important to mention to those who might be listening, like what. It's actually about the Schwitz has for nearly a hundred years had one major room, and that's the heart and soul of the place. It's a it's a it's a large Russian and Turkish style banya or Schwitz, which is a little bit different than like a sauna or if you're, a, you know, being technical. A is sa- that the room a sauna. with the pool? No. So the room that you go into adjacent to the pool is the is the banya, and that has fifteen thousand pounds of hot rock that are heated every morning and they produce tremendous heat and steam sometimes going up to 160 170 degrees and hits you in the face like a freight train yeah, yeah it's hot they say it's the hottest room in the midwest wow and that's why really that's the heart and soul of the place and that's why people have been coming for a long long time now we're getting busy enough and people are supporting us enough that we really need a little bit more capacity so what we decided to do is uh, implement and install a Himalayan salt sauna. So it's a dry, a much drier heat, all cedar room with um, a panel of uh, Himalayan salt bricks um, that are deeply therapeutic for people's respiratory systems and cardiovascular systems as well. But having this, having this kind of uh, juxtaposition between the traditional steam and then a very dry therapeutic heat. I think it's going to be really and, beautiful for the place. And, and don't forget that they have a little lap pool filled <laughs> with water that comes out of the Detroit City water tap. It is that cold. And what you do is you go from this intense heat, heat and you go and you dip. No, well, you don't dip. You plunge. You, you plunge into this <laughs> How deep pool. is that pool? Um, it's not that deep. I mean, it's only at its deepest, it's maybe five feet. So oh, it's not, it's not kind of deep. Yeah, yeah, it's not something you dive into, but it's something you can totally immerse yourself I, in. And I, it's about, right yeah. now, it's about 47 yeah. degrees. It's if, cold. If wow, you, that's if you very go cold. there the first time and you go between the heat and this pool, have a wingman, have your safety person. <laughs> if you have a sign, heart attack, sign the waiver. <laughs> or sign the waiver. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's um it's meant to be tremendously cold. So um you know, going from extreme heat to extreme cold is what really sh- shocks one's cardiovascular system and what and what actually makes it such a cardiovascular workout. So you're basically if you go from the heat to the cold, let's say 
pretty consistently over the course of the hour, that is the equivalent of going out for an hour's jog. And you can you talk about the oak leaves? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So um, for for thousands of years, uh, Russians and Turks and other cultures, but this is predominantly a Russian place, have been using leaves, eucalyptus, birch. In this case, we use mostly oak at the Schwitz. And we make what are called venyaks or oak leaf brooms. And um, the oak is like nature's aspirin. It's a blood thinner, an anti-inflammatory. And when you're heated like that and, you know, all your pores are open and you've been soaking these leaves in in hot water, it produces essentially like a therapeutic tea. And um, you basically massage these these leaves and this tea into uh, your skin and so your body soaks in all those natural minerals. Um, your muscles take in all that heat. Um, you know, this is a this is an ancient heat therapy that's been going on, you know, around the world for thousands of years. But it's the only place in in the state of Michigan where where it's still happening. So it's pretty. I mean, when you talk about holding on to history, it's one thing to talk about you know a hundred years or two hundred years of Detroit history. At the Schwitz, you're experiencing like four thousand years of human wow. history, which is really quite stunning you know i i was uh uh afforded the invitation to do one now <laughs> now get this i have never been in a sauna or yeah. a schwitz of this intensity here i am uh you know i i come into this new place i go down to the basement you know and, I, and i'm sitting in this uh sauna i have no idea i, I have no mentor you know so and I'm kind of self-regulating drinking and i go take a you know go go in the pool come back in and I, I see these guys getting this this mm-hmm. treatment with these oak leaves. I'm like, you know, what? And they're bubbly because they use a little bit of ivory soap. Yes, in this, they know? do sometimes. Yeah. And I was afforded uh, the opportunity to get one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god! Like you describe I, it now. Well, what do so, they do? They so, so up in the corner, on no, top so up, of your skin. So, so up in the corner, right on the top level of there's it's like stadium seating you know there's like four levels in this in this fits right mm-hmm. and in the corner uh you um there's uh tubs of water in these oak you know these oak branches that are sitting in this tub and and there's guys at uh one or two uh who take these and there's a guy lying down and they're just putting these Oh, you know, oak leaves. Uh, it looks like you're going through a car wash. Yeah, you know, human, stationary car wash. Human car wash. Well, there's kind of two. There, I mean, there, I'm sure if you speak to a real expert, there's multiple uh, versions. But essentially, in Detroit, we're dealing with two versions. We're dealing with the Russian style, which is when soap is not used, and oh. so you don't create any insulation between the heat and your skin. So it's extremely hot, and it's more heat focused. What they're trying to do is bring extreme heat off of the ceiling and into your muscles so um, ima- so imagine this there's there's this opening to this uh oven, oven yeah and it looks like a uh you know big steel doors and looks like something a pizza oven or something and there's a guy and you fill up a bucket of water and a guy throws this bucket of water on those rocks and seconds later if you are on that top level it will it is like a uh a, a, a an, um, an invisible freight train and it comes and it just hits you in the forehead and you do one of two things. You will either sit there and tolerate it or you will just get down and get out of there. Now you're up on, when you're in the, this, getting this plaza, you're up there 
you don't get to run anywhere. Yeah. You just stay there. And these guys are, are, are taking these oak, you know, this bunch of oaks and they're, they're putting it over your body. And, and then you turn around and they, and I had three different people coming up. Yeah. And doing this. Your eyes are closed. You know, now you're telling me about the, 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 the properties the of the, the medicine. Yeah, yeah. So this was the, so I said, guys, I, I'm, my body is just, I'm, I'm having this physical experience. I get up to get down because I need to just go and chill sure, out. Sure, sure, yeah. And at one moment, I feel like a hundred year old man. And these two men come up and they help me down the stairs. And at the other moment, I felt like a newborn baby. Yeah, at yeah. the same moment, to feel a hundred <laughs> years old and a newborn baby, I, I, I went out the door and I sat outside that room and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what just happened to me? And yeah. I'm just like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> and a guy comes out the door and he's like, it's okay. You can have an emotional experience. <laughs> you know, it just, it was like. Well, it sounds no, like a perfect blend of past and yeah, today, well, holistic. Yeah, people are so medication. interested in their, in their self-care and their wellness. But this is something, you know, this is sort of like these guys, you know, a lot of these guys aren't in a position to go get a weekly massage for $80. Sure. So they'll pay their 25 or 30 bucks here and then they'll take care of each other there. And, you know, blue collar guys for, you know, the last century and, and, you know, immigrants. And you know, this is where they came to kind of give themselves a little bit of care for the week and um, take care of their bodies. And, you know, it's kind of a ongoing joke, you know, you look around the dining room and people are smoking and drinking and eating kind of whatever they want. And, but they live to be 95 because every week they're detoxing, you know, every week they're sweating they're it out. The benefits yeah. of the oak leaves yeah. and, the, and they're yeah. getting the benefit of community and yeah. they're getting a benefit of having a place where you can just be yourself. Right. Yeah. So it's, um, so there you go. It it's sounds a wonderful. Place. And, it um, great. it's important. I know you brought it up once already, but, um, yeah, the women have the place to themselves a couple days a week now, you know, the schedule's on online. It's easy to find, but, um, what is that? What is the, all oh, the website? Yeah. Schwitzdetroit.com. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and we encourage people. The other thing I would mention, cause this is what happened to me when I went for the first time, the first time I came, I did not steam. I was with my, one of my best friends and we were sort of intimidated and we, we felt, what is courageous just yeah. walking in the door for sure so my recommendation to some folks if they don't feel like they necessarily want to try it right away is just come and have a drink and maybe have a bite to eat and get a tour it doesn't cost you anything and then kind of feel it out because it is at first a little bit like well what it's am i getting very myself different into? yeah but um i think people realize pretty quickly that people are just there to relax and unwind and um you know kind of leave their troubles at the door so Mm-hmm. Well, Patty, it's been wonderful talking to you, you too. and thank learning you. all about the history <laughs> of the Schwitz. Yeah, Patty, thank thanks. You. Just thanks for coming in today. Thanks for um, just bringing that place back with thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it very much. And good luck with all your renovations and plans for the future. And we're excited to see what's going to be happening next. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it very much.